so Mike, what's your favorite memory of team building at work? Yeah, I don't know. Wasn't always into the team building, I have to be honest. But at uh, one place I worked, there was a very competitive trivia quiz. It was ongoing week after week of teams meeting each other, an elimination style tournament. And I was pretty good, but there were some world-class trivia people playing here. It was really an impressive group when it came to trivia and other things as well. I finally made it onto this really great team. I sort of helped form the team. It was some of the best people from different parts of the company. I've heard of teams doing paint your own pottery, but I think a competitive trivia competition seems a little more intense. Oh, it was intense. It was quite intense. Amazingly, this team, we took it all. Wow, you won. What was that like? We won. It was great. I got to tell you, the team never let me forget that I was the alternate on this team. I I didn't get to enjoy it quite as much as they did. I always felt I was just the uh, more senior member amongst these younger minds. A little bit slower, perhaps, than they were? Yeah, maybe. It sounds like you were the Roy Kent of that trivia team. I'm Mike Merrill. I'm Kathy Buckman. This is Lasso Lessons. Coming up is Season 1, Episode 6, Two Aces. Season 1, Episode 6, Two Aces opens with Ted once again in the morning. This time we see him taking off his wedding ring. Next, we see a somewhat discombobulated Ted who has just walked to work and who's glad to see Coach Beard and Nate. The world can be a sad, lonely place, he says. Let's get to work. And this is really some of the artistry of Ted Lasso. A very short set of shots and scenes that establishes a dramatic change in Ted's life. When he first arrives at the clubhouse, we see him walking by the lockers and on the lockers hang both the jerseys and the names of each of the players. It's almost like this is now his family life. His marriage is coming to an end. And he says to Nate, Coach Beard, I don't want to bury myself in my work. I want to bathe in it. And this is a cliche of life as well as art that the person whose love life is becoming unraveled turns to work for some sort of compensation. This continues with a little bit of wordplay, and we'll talk more about wordplay in this episode. Coach Beard says that he uses creme de la honey, and Ted asks him if that last term is an ingredient of the product, or is he calling him honey? And then he goes on to call Nate sweetie. And it really seems that he is substituting in some ways his work family for his real family. So once again, in this episode, we see another press conference, though this one comes after a win. Ted says to the press, you can outscore your opponent and lose, but we definitely won. He also makes a point of saying that whether or not Jamie is back on the pitch for the next match is up to Jamie. Immediately thereafter, Rebecca tells Ted that Manchester City may end Jamie's loan and call him back to that team. Ted is concerned by this news, but says that he has a plan. The reference to saying you can outscore your opponent and lose is clearly a furtherance of his dedication to the ethos of Coach John Wooden, who we spoke about in a previous episode. If you had to distill the wooden ethos into anything, it might be that sports are about a lot more than just winning and losing. This 
this point where he starts saying plan over and over again is the first instance in the episode, I think of three, where we see semantic satiation as Coach Beard identifies it. Ted asks about the new player, Danny Rojas, recently arrived from Mexico, who is having his knee worked on in the training room. Then when Ted asks about Jamie, Coach Beard tells him with clear skepticism that Jamie is hurt. Ted confronts Jamie about why he's missing the practice. And when Jamie says it's just practice, Ted gets semantically stuck again, this time on the word practice, as he angrily responds to Jamie's clear provocation. In this scene, as Ted confronts Jamie, the shot here even tilts on its side. It's almost this old uh, Batman from the 60s. It's like the whole locker room is being weighed down by Ted's anger. Shortly thereafter, there's a shot very clearly from Jamie's viewpoint as Ted asks him to set up cones for practice. We really feel Jamie's diminution. And this is the artistry of Ted Lasso. And I think it probably isn't really stated enough how good this show is at framing the shots with the camera and then editing the shots to be something really powerful. While we might be tempted to identify with Ted, the shots almost make us identify with Jamie. And this is important because as we'll find out, Ted does not want to turn Jamie into a villain. I like how you pick up on that because I do think that many of us just consume entertainment without really thinking much about camera placement, camera angle, and editing. But I think there is something going on here where the way that the shot is being constructed really adds to the tension and supports our sense of what's meaningful. So at this point, with Jamie refusing to practice out of what seems to be a selfish bit of self-involvement, even his side pricks turn on him. Ted tells us how to read this scene again. When Nate says that it's good to see Jamie put in his place, said, no, 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 no. This is a no shot in front of zone. And this is a German term for experiencing pleasure in someone else's pain. And Ted's saying, no, that's not what's going on here. Jamie's got to learn. What Jamie said are going here is to learn, not to turn him into a villain. He too can grow. We now see the new player, Danny Rojas, who enters the field chanting his own name. And he almost immediately proves his own worth and demonstrates his talent. Jamie and Danny engage in a friendly, not friendly competition to see if they can kick the ball so that it hits the crossbar at the top of the goal. And Danny wins. Danny and Jamie actually are kind of similar in some ways. They are both excellent offensive football players. One suffers a true injury, short-lived, but a true injury, while one fakes an injury. And very importantly, I think, Jamie's kind of sin was to chant me, me, me when he scores. Danny Rojas says his name repeatedly as he runs around. But despite their clear similarities, there's a huge difference, and that's in motivation. I know we're going to talk about motivation more. It's really hard to imagine Jamie running around repeatedly saying football is life. Danny loves the game. Jamie's reason for playing? Well, we're going to learn more about that in this episode. Danny Rojas is like the bizarro Jamie Tart. They should have probably put a, like a, a little goatee on him or something, a la the parallel Spock of Star Trek. Ah, uh, I was going more Superman, but I see you're going Star Trek. 
Either way. We now focus in a bit on Keely. Something interesting has developed for her. She is now officially coordinating brand sponsorships for all players on the team at Rebecca's request. At one point, she approaches Roy to talk about his past, which features a rather sad childhood. She has to explain that she isn't stalking him. She's reading up on him for her research. Yeah, she probably has other motivations as well. That may be the case. We then see Danny. He's on the field and he seems to have hurt himself. He says that he didn't trip over something. Something tripped him. Upon hearing this, the team tells Ted that the treatment room is cursed and they think this is what has happened to Danny. The entire Richmond team all meet at the pub to discuss what to do. And it's here that we learn the history of this curse. Reportedly, young men were tricked into going to fight during World War I, and they visited FC Richmond's training room on their way to their deaths in France. Fans of the show Peaky Blinders will recognize the continuing impact of the tragedy of World War I on the British psyche. To lift the curse, Ted asks every player to bring an item that they personally value to the clubhouse at midnight. During a ceremony in the training room, they all drop their items into a bin. Rebecca joins them, discarding a tabloid calling her old Rebecca. And even Jamie shows up at the last moment with a pair of shoes his mother gave him. He reveals that his mother got him into football for the love of it. And his father only showed up once he got good and insisted that he dominate. Ted lights everything on fire. Danny reappears in good health. The curse has been lifted. The next morning, Ted shows up at the clubhouse only to find out that Rebecca has allowed Manchester City to recall Jamie. Ted expresses his clear displeasure to Rebecca, but still provides her with morning biscuits. I think we probably have to start with semantic satiation because it does pervade this whole episode. I think it shows up three times. And semantic satiation is the phenomena where a word loses its meaning. It just gets played out. It's too much. It overflows the word in some ways and the word therefore loses meaning. I think this is important to bring up partly because wordplay is such a big part of this show. Wordplay has always been part of comedy since time immemorial, but I think it's not as fashionable now. Certainly there was wordplay, say, in Seinfeld. Remember, we were comparing Seinfeld last time, no hugs, no learning, to mm-hmm. the clear hugs and learning. In Seinfeld, there's all these uses of words to capture kind of pet phrases, master of my domain, sponge worthy, re-gifting, double dipping. The close talker and the low talker. And so naming things. But here, it's, a, I think, a bigger part of the comedy. We've noted the kind of play between American and British terms, practice for training and gaffer for coach. Wanker, in the last episode, we found out that Wanker, amazingly, Ted discovers it can be used as a term of affection. There's all these things about Ted saying, I don't want to bury myself in work. I want to bathe myself in work. The pet names. Rebecca says that was a master stroke. And Ted says, I don't think we could talk like that at work anymore. She says, they're going to terminate Jamie's loan. They're going to take his house. So it's this constant misunderstanding and miscommunication that's happening often with words. Some of it is transatlantic misunderstanding. Some of it is Ted's natural kind of 
playfulness around words, but it's certainly something that's very big and something that we should watch as we go forward. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it is more than just because this is a fish out of water comedy, which would very naturally lead to a lot of misunderstandings at the level of terminology and how people describe things. But it seems like they're leaning into it a lot. I feel like this is a show that's about how people make sense of the world. And we make sense of the world through language for the most part. Focusing on language does get us to the heart of some of what might be going on in this, in this show. This term, semantic satiation, was coined by Leon James in his PhD, his dissertation at McGill University in 1962. And if the web tells any truth, apparently Dr. James is still teaching at the University of Hawaii to this day. Say Hawaii 12 times and see what happens. <laughs> All right. With that in mind, I know you want to talk about motivation. Yes, I feel like the big theme in this particular episode is motivation. Where does it come from? What are a leader's obligations to create motivation? And I think it builds off of something we talked about in a previous episode. We talked about how leadership is in many ways an exercise in setting a vision so that your followers know where they're going. Ideally, that vision itself will be pretty inspiring. And that may be enough to keep people going. But along the way, there will likely be setbacks. When the team isn't having a lot of success, it is really helpful for a leader to think about providing motivation as one of the things that they uniquely can do. What's the big challenge? Why does the team require motivation at this point? I think the obvious answer is that they are a losing team. They may have won one match, but... Overall, they are having a losing season. If you are a John Wooden style coach, you're really attuned to how people feel in the clubhouse. And even if you feel like winning isn't the only thing, it is an important thing. And it's likely that people are going to feel less motivated when there's less winning. And to date, we continue to see that the quote unquote manipulation of Roy that happened earlier in this in the season has paid off. Roy is very much in. Coach Ted Lasso's camp, he backs Ted up. He's always telling people to sit down and listen to him, tells everybody, you're going to bring the things tonight. That's it. The domino has fallen in his heart, but there are dominoes yet to fall. And one of his name is Mr. Tart. Yes, indeed. So Jamie is still creating problems for this club. Part of what needs to get motivated is Jamie, though there's probably some motivation that everybody needs at this point. So let's talk about some of the different ways that we see Ted providing motivation in this episode. First of all, there's a big one here. We see Ted as the boss showing anger. Now, when your boss gets angry, I think this is something that we have all experienced from time to time. It's hard to miss. It's noticeable. It gets your attention. And getting that attention, if you direct it in the right way, is actually not a terrible way to get a team to refocus. However, it certainly can be overdone. What does it mean when the boss gets angry? And what does it mean when Ted gets angry? This is very strange, right? We have seen Ted up to this point being very cheerful and very positive, but he's really not at his best in this episode. 
he's reeling from the end of his marriage. And now all of a sudden we see him showing up in ways that really aren't typical for him. We did see a hint of it in Tan Lines, the previous episode where he does confront Jamie, but his son comes in interrupting his fit of pique. So we all know this is coming. We know there's some anger building between these two characters. Ted gets angry at Jamie and he does it in front of the team in the locker room. And it really is a little bit unclear whether he is doing this purposefully or whether he has really just lost his cool. But either way, it feels like at some point in the middle of the speech, he realizes that this is his opportunity to show Jamie where the limit is and by implication show everybody he's watching that there are limits. Jamie has an obligation to the team and by missing practice because of an imaginary injury, that just isn't okay. Yes. And the episode highlights it by showing a real injury on the part of Danny Rojas. What was your reaction to an angry Ted Lasso? It's a little bit surprising, but it certainly seems to be motivated here. I think for Ted, as it would be for John Wooden, practice is very sacred thing. As Ted says, it's the only time where we have control over what we do. Not during the game. Game is very important, but we don't have control or what we do. So by missing practice, you're clearly setting yourself apart from the team and you're refusing to engage in this almost sacred couple of hours of group intention. I think you're really onto something. I didn't think about that. If you're a wooden style sports coach, you're not going to get mad at your team for losing. I don't think, but you certainly would get mad at your team for not doing everything they could in practice. So the second moment in this episode, when we see Ted showing anger is pretty close to the end. When we discover that Rebecca has allowed Jamie Tart to go back to Man City, this really hits Ted hard and he does not cover it up. He very clearly is feeling angry and he very clearly shows it to Rebecca. This is important because Unfortunately, we probably accept the notion of a boss showing anger to a subordinate. We probably accept that in some ways as being mm, par for the course, sadly. But showing anger up, that's a whole nother thing. And to me, that suggests that Ted's expression of anger is not simply situational. It's not simply, well, uh, I'm the boss, so I can get angry. It's really based in something. When he gets angry, it's based in principle. I think you're right. There are potential consequences for Ted if Rebecca feels that showing anger toward her is not something he's allowed to do. And he doesn't seem concerned with that. He does say, I, I better stop. And she says, yes, you should. And, and it's a comic thing where he still gives her the cookies, but he says, I hope you don't enjoy them quite as much. A very soft form of anger. It's not a all encompassing rage. He's not Hulk. He's not smashing things. So the first way that Ted motivates is through showing anger. What else you got? I would say that this is the first time that we see Ted use what you could probably call negative reinforcement. Negative reinforcement is when you try to motivate somebody's behavior by essentially giving them a negative experience or some kind of negative consequence. And the, the best example of this, I think, is when after 
Ted has clearly called Jamie out in front of the team for skipping practice. He assigns Jamie the job of setting up the practice cones. Everybody in the locker room understands this to be exactly what it is, which is a way of diminishing Jamie's status. It's supposed to be a little bit of a shaming moment. And frankly, it seems to work. We questioned a little bit. Is this really the way you should approach it? But Ted's tried a lot of things with Jamie. Along these lines, since we mentioned negative reinforcement, Keeley introduces the term Pavlovian to Jamie. She does so in the context of the fact that whenever they're around each other, they seem to have sex. They talk about what Pavlovian means. And I think it's a little bit indicative that Jamie is still working in the world of carrots and sticks. He's not a fully mindful person by a long shot. And Keeley calls that out. And I think maybe you're pointing out that Ted's treating him in some ways as somebody who's not going to be able to engage. Ted's tried a few different ways to engage him and it just hasn't worked out. And at this point, he may be stuck with these less than ideal forms of treating and punishing Jamie. He's sort of meeting Jamie where he is. And I I think that is a mitigating factor. I don't think any of us would really want to work for a boss consciously and regularly used shame as a way of motivating people. But there, uh, there is been there. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so shame as a motivator is generally something you should avoid as a manager or leader. But in this case, I think we're willing to give Ted a pass. And the first reason is the one that you just mentioned, which is Jamie has really limited the options here by being somebody who is not responding to the other forms of motivation. The other thing that I think makes us allow Ted this moment without it undermining our faith in him is directly after he leaves the locker room and is in his office with Coach Beard and other people feel inclined to celebrate a little bit that Jamie has been taken down. Ted shows where his heart is. He says, this is a no schadenfreude zone, meaning we are not going to enjoy this. I'm not doing it for the pleasure of shaving him. I'm not doing it so we feel better. I'm doing it to help him. Completely. And this is where intention comes in. There are things you can do if you are well-intended that will be interpreted differently. Great. So that's two out of three. We've got your anger. We've got your negative reinforcements. I'm hoping the next one's a little more positive. Yeah, it is. This next one I would call healthy competition. There are people who are really motivated by feeling a sense of healthy competition. It has occurred to me that people in sales-oriented jobs often are this sort of personality type where competing with other people in a positive, healthy way really helps their performance at work. You know, a lot of sales organizations will have a leaderboard and show who's got the most sales for the month. I have been told by people who do these jobs that it's almost like video games, right? It's like looking at what your score is and being motivated to make that score go higher. And so healthy competition can really actually work based on who your people are and what they're doing. It is one of the levers that you can pull as a boss to help people feel motivated. And the scene where we see this happening in this episode happens organically. I wouldn't say that Ted really makes it happen. But Jamie and Danny are out on the soccer pitch and they do this, I've heard this called the crossbar challenge, where you kick a soccer ball from some distance from the goal and you try intentionally to hit the crossbar. They do this repeatedly until Jamie fails. 
and Danny is the winner, kind of seeming to work, right? I, I think we see that it's motivating to Jamie to have the realization that there's someone now on this team who may push him in terms of raw talent. And so between Ted's anger, the negative reinforcement, and this sense of competition, these things may be all of the things that collectively seem to bring Jamie around. Second prize, set of steak knives. <laughs> yeah, I would put that in negative reinforcement slash competition, not healthy. As David Mammon and Alec Baldwin have shown us so clearly, obviously competition can become negative reinforcement, but there is a mode you are suggesting that evades that possibility. Whenever you create a competition for a team, there may be consequences for the winners and the losers. I think it's important to calibrate that those consequences don't feel dire or disproportionate to the competition itself and that people feel like they are still being supported to improve their performance. If you have all those things in place, then competition can be a good way to motivate people. So those are the three ways that Ted motivates. And there's some suggestion by the end of this episode that between that and maybe some talk from Keeley as well, that Jamie's turning a little bit. Yes, exactly. And I think the moment when we see that happen is when Jamie decides to participate in the quote unquote team building activity that they engage in at the end. So let's talk about team building. I would say that this is one of the things that a leader can do to improve morale, improve cohesiveness, to improve the bonds in a team. But I know that if I see that somebody's asked me to come join some team building, I'm going to groan inwardly at that phrase. You know, it's just one of the cliches of workplaces that you have to go to some kind of ropes course or you have to do trust falls or something. But on some level, I think they do work. I have made it clear before retreats, no heights, please. I can't do heights. <laughs> You're not making that up. You are really afraid of heights. Uh, but, you know, team building exercises can take different forms. And in this case, there is a very unique example of a team building exercise. This is the elaborate ritual that Ted and others concoct in order to lift the curse that they believe is on the, their training room. And it's really not a bad example of what a team-focused exercise can be. It's participatory, everybody participates, and you learn a little something about each person when they tell their little story about the object that they drop into the bin. When Jamie walks in the room and makes this somewhat vulnerable speech about how football has felt for him in the past and the family dynamics around his early life in football, we start seeing Jamie a little differently. And he definitely starts coming across as a member of the team. One of the ways to think about why Ted thinks this will work is that he's basically asking you to sacrifice something meaningful to you for the sake of the team. And if we go back to the very first scene, we see him taking off his wedding ring. Now you'll notice in this scene, I don't think we see Ted putting anything in the barrel, do we? I don't remember. I don't think we do. And I think the reason why is because we already know what Ted has lost. We already know in some ways what he has given up. It's not a direct cause and effect, 
it's not because he came to England that his marriage broke up, but they're very interrelated. That is sort of a rhyming scene from the beginning where he takes off his ring to the end where every player has to shed an important item. And implicitly by shedding that item, you're moving beyond it. You are changing. You're going to a place where that item doesn't have the same power over you. We see Roy bringing his blankie and in some ways saying, I'm going to give up some of that early trauma. We have to wonder if his current rage, I like to call it eternal rage, is partly based upon that early childhood trauma. Is he in some ways saying, I'm, I'm going to give up this thing I've been holding on to? Yeah, that would be very powerful for Roy. And then Rebecca, of course, burns the tabloid. And by burning the tabloid, she's both getting rid of this sort of reference to her as old Rebecca. Also, I think in some way she's saying, I'm not going to let Rupert, the press, this kind of, we might call the industrial Rupert complex, to bother me as much anymore. I'm going to give that up. She's still holding on to the remnants, the residual of her marriage in some ways. And she's going to try to get beyond that. I think you're completely right. In fact, in every episode up to this point, I think there has either been a scene of Rebecca flipping through a print tabloid or looking at a tabloid website on her laptop. By burning that object, I think what she's saying is, I'm just going to care less about what the world has to say about me. And then Jamie brings shoes. He says, don't wear that, my first shoes or anything but they're indicative of these competing motivations. The, the motivation from his mother of the love of the game, the motivation from his father to dominate other people, to win. Yeah, exactly. By burning this pair of soccer boots that reflect what the game used to mean to him, how it used to feel to him, he's opening himself up to creating a new kind of meaning around what football is to him. So it does quote unquote work. It's another little bit of stage management by Ted because he already knows that Danny Rojas is fine, but Danny Rojas comes running out. Jamie, he's never going to love having another star on the team. Who does? Unless you're Lionel Messi, it's not uh, your favorite thing, but he seems to accept it a little bit. He says, let's drink that mezcal. And it's a great team moment. Richmond till we die, they sing. They're extremely united. It was never about lifting the curse. It was really about getting the team more connected and trying to integrate some of the people who are on the outside a little bit. Rebecca. Rebecca walks away, drops her coat in an almost operatic fashion as she departs. She does not get integrated. She's going to keep her plan to destroy the team. Jamie, though, I think by the end, He's always going to be Jamie. He seems like he's going to try to be part of the team again. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. The The ritual works and the team has a spirit and a sense of cohesiveness that I don't think we've seen from them before as they pass around the bottle of liquor and stand around a fire. If you're at all an evolutionary psychologist, the notion of consuming something with a group around a fire um, suggests a very ancient form of connection. Indeed. Indeed. And I think that's why it hits Ted so hard the next day that Jamie's gone. Because he had a plan. His plan worked. And Rebecca scuttles it. And now we come to why that anger is so profound. 
is because everything he's been working up toward as the leader to try to unite the team, to provide the right amount of motivation to people who weren't on board with his program, he's finally seeing it pay off. And Rebecca, she's just messed it all up. That's season one, episode six, Two Aces, coming up next. Season one, episode seven, Make Rebecca Great Again.